0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond behind the mic in the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio. Tom's here, and I have given up on intros for Tom, so I'm just going with Tom is here. Good Welcome morning. To Tom. I'm here.
1: It's good to see you. We talked about that just a minute ago. I just feel like a bump in a log. It's fine. Well, it's not that.
0: I just... Well, I know. I get it. I mean, it's either Tom is here or bald pathologists in the house sure yeah no I'm not gonna stay in the house no I know it. No, no chance I shouldn't either this is not a 1980s soft rock station <laughs> it's <a> podcast
1: <laughs> it's it's not <laughs> I, I've been confused all along
0: all right we also <laughs> <laughs> Eric's here Eric how you doing man
2: I'm doing well Jason how are you
0: so this is Eric's big time of year all this corn is boogieing so he's in the Delta Looking at some stuff, we had some other things going on here at the station, so uh, Eric is in the studio with us today, so we re- really appreciate that, taking time out of his schedule to visit with us.
1: Well, it's good to see Eric this time of the year, because definitely this this is, as Jason put it, his time of the year, as corn starts to really progress fast and furiously. As, as Jason said the other day, we were texting back and forth, he just said, whoosh, I'm like, yeah, stuff shoots up really fast once you start putting fertilizer under it. really fast and then it gets hot. How is the crop just in general?
2: The corn crop in general I'd say is off to a lot better start than what we typically have. We had some nice planting windows early in March of course and then certain times during the growing season where we were able to actually plant our intended acres. I can't remember the last time that we've actually been able to plant our intended acreage with the corn crop relative to rainfall that typically prohibits or restricts planting opportunities during the springtime so that was a a blessing certainly you know things have been relatively smooth obviously they've been a little bit cooler than normal this spring which for corn that's fine may not tassel quite as early as what it would have been if we would have had warmer conditions but um, you know by and large everything has been pretty smooth so far.
0: In general driving across the landscape the crop looks looks pretty good to me so Eric had a specific thing that he wanted to come on this morning and talk about and we're going to get to that but before we do eric i got a question for you which sport do you think is the most boring to watch
2: now be careful you're in mississippi but you're not from mississippi so that's use, cer- use caution that's certainly a loaded question i'm a big fan of baseball but that sport you know certainly there's some folks that will say that it's more boring than others i guess so i don't know where you're going with this question i'm not going anywhere i just and it's baseball season now so i'm wondering what the score of the ball game is for that matter so uh it certainly is not the most boring sport to me you could throw golf out there that's fine okay well i'm not a golfer so i'll say golf is the most boring sport
0: hockey would be a solid choice also yeah
1: stop right there well, I'm just saying, dude. <laughs> hockey is only boring to Southerners because they don't understand hockey.
0: I'm not going to disagree with you.
1: And there are some very confusing events. The whole icing issue is phenomenally convoluted and difficult to understand. Oh, you already lost me. So and back
0: they, to that baseball thing, Eric. <laughs> just messing with you, Tom.
1: I figured as much
0: college baseball versus Major League Baseball. I mean, really, no contest there. Much more a spectator sport on the college level than the absolutely than the major league level. So we busted Tom a couple weeks ago. Tom spouted out something about Big Ten football. I don't even know who was in here with us when you did that. We had to shut that down pretty quick.
1: I don't remember.
0: I don't either. But I remember you talking about Indiana football.
1: Well, which wasn't much of a football program to begin with. When I was there since then, even though the gentleman who coaches that team has my name.
0: I remember when they hired him. I, I congratulated you on your new. That's career. right.
1: People ask me, okay, I can't juggle both jobs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I didn't anticipate Eric saying that uh, college football was going to be the most boring sport to watch. I didn't. I would have never thought that would was going to come out of your mouth, man. Yeah, absolutely not, Eric. Why don't you introduce the topic that you wanted to talk about today and some of the things that y'all are working on in those projects?
2: The topic is cover crops that we wanted to talk about, and obviously it's it's a you know, at the foremost, I guess, of, of hot topics, I guess, in the agricultural world. My interest in that is obviously with corn. Corn is where I have my primary responsibilities. And uh, I have a new graduate student that has jumped head first, I guess, into this t- cover crop area. And we're trying to incorporate cover crops into corn production systems and make sure that we maintain the yield potential that we have or improve things and at least know how to address the challenges and dynamics uh, that cover crops could change when we impart that into a corn production system knowing I guess the challenges that we have with corn production we've already talked about the challenges that we typically have with wet conditions during the springtime either planting the crop getting established, getting a good, solid, uniform stand are already extremely challenging with corn. And corn is very sensitive to all those issues. It's responsive to early planting, so we like to plant it early, but it's one of the more sensitive crops to any type of stand issues because it does not have the physiological capability to change its fruit load through tillering or multiple fruit per plant that a lot of our other row crops have. So some of the issues that that might come into play with cover crops is obviously complications associated with planting, either the physical, mechanical planting of the crop because of the residue or or potentially even planting into green cover crop could be complications. And then also what kind of growth-related issues or even pest-related issues may result from changing your dynamics, you might say, of our highly refined stale seedbed systems, which we typically employ just so we have an opportunity to plant during the four days over a 40 to five day period when the the environmental conditions allow us to plant corn in the spring.
0: Tell the listeners some of the specific treatments that y'all are looking at in these in the project that you're working on.
2: Well, first of all, obviously we're looking at different crop species. And, and one of the things we're doing, I guess, is is talk to the forage folks, familiarize ourselves with these crops. We want to do a couple different things, I guess, with cover crops. We want to stabilize the soil, for one thing, prevent bed erosion and other things that we'd like to try to maintain over the course of the wintertime in our high, high rainfall environment. So we're looking for cover crops to do that, as well as improve the soil fertility and the soil dynamics. So that's likely going to be at least two different types of totally separate species that, that accomplish those goals. We know that the cereal grains with their fibrous root systems and their more vigorous fall growth of foliage and so forth above ground will do a much better job of protecting from soil erosion. So that's probably or definitely one of the components we want to have in our, in our research as well as a legume crop which will fix nitrogen and perhaps be beneficial to the crop during the growing season and and sort of counteract some of the negative complications associated with that grass crop in the mixture as well.
0: Which species have y'all chosen to evaluate in your stuff?
2: Well we've got a couple different studies and they both have different different objectives in those studies but we're looking at uh, cereal rye which is the number one most common cereal crop that you'll see in in research as well as recommended by NRCS for cover crop use we're also looking at black oats which is another alternative now we're doing some side stuff on the side looking at at other cereal grains as well including wheat and regular oats so just so we are familiarize ourselves with those things and make sure that we make valid choices and on the legume side you know that's where I really leaned on the forage folks for their expertise I know just in my non-professional career, I guess, that uh, there's a lot of differences in legumes, how they grow, what their suitability is for different environments. In our environment, obviously, high soil moisture uh, during the wintertime and and being able to tolerate wet conditions, we perceive to be a, a major issue and some of the legumes are, are well-suited for relatively dry conditions. We, we knew that they were likely going to fail for a lot of Mississippi acres, so we picked legume species that are well suited to wet soils, wet conditions, obviously heavy soils, soils that have limited drainage, and so forth. So the primary legume species that we settled on was berseem clover, and again, it's it's one of the species that's highly recommended for Mississippi by the NRCS folks as well. But we're looking at other legume species just to make sure that we make solid choices there in terms of adapted species that will thrive in our environment.
1: Well, I was going to say, Jason, you've done a little bit of cover crop work yourself, but I know that from previous conversations and, and just being on this experiment station, there are even some difficult practices that occur in the fall that may delay cover crop planting could you talk about some of those eric i mean how do those species how are they adapted to our production practice systems to where you can plant those in the fall after you harvest a crop is there any potential tillage work you need to do prior to that or can you just go straight in after say you had corn in example 2020 you plant a cover crop for the fall moving into 2021 what might slow down that particular practice?
2: Well, obviously everybody's system's gonna be, there's gonna be some diversity there. In talking to folks that have done cover crop research in the past and in forage folks in general, planting date is a big determining factor on, on establishment of those cover crops and how successful they are in achieving those goals, both in terms of protecting the soil over the winter Late planting is obviously the biggest issue there, so that definitely comes into play. And obviously, we're using broadcast seeding methods for the most part to establish our cover crops, which going to be applicable whether it's seeding out of an airplane or we're doing some other things, I guess, from a distribution standpoint with those those, uh, crops to make them more, you might say, compatible with with growing corn, but that's a totally different area, I guess. But we're we're establishing all our cover crops on raised beds for one thing. We know that previous research with corn shows that raised beds are a critical component to establishing corn, uh, being able to plant it during that that. In int- intended time frame, and most importantly, it promotes early growth and development and stand quality. So we're using cover crops on raised beds, which is very unique in the cover crop world. Most of the cover crops are planted flat. So we're, we're using traditional Mississippi-based um, raised bed systems where there's tillage performed in the fall to establish those raised beds and immediately establishing the cover crops as early as we can this year, they were established in early October for the most part.
0: You mentioned the planting date being critical for establishing these species. Is it planting date or is it conditions at the time of planting? So like temperature and obviously soil moisture. Right?
2: Yeah, all the, all that comes into play, obviously. The main thing is you want to get the cover crops established in time for them to Probably the most limiting factor in the fall regarding the planting date is having enough development of those cover crops so that they actually perform that soil stabilization, which is going to be limiting during the fall. You know, establishing those cereal grains particularly and and getting, frankly getting that clover up and established so it gets some growth as well.
0: Contrast a cover crop of a cereal grain with like a wheat cash crop R- related to that so we know we can plant wheat too early you know it'll have too much biomass or growth before the it shuts down you know for the winter time so kind of speak to that and the different I guess goals
2: yeah of obviously the crop in the fall with cover crops you're trying to establish and promote forage growth during the fall establish as, as that root system particularly so that it's extensive and it's stabilizing the soil as well as getting some nice foliage growth to provide some surface protection of the soil as well. So we can plant cover crops, you know, basically as soon as the soil temperatures cool down enough so that it will al- allow the establishment of those crops. Some of, the, some of the crops, particularly the clovers, don't establish well under warm soil conditions that we're going to have in August and throughout much of the month of September, possibly. So uh, the soil temperatures need to cool off a little bit and then have sufficient moisture to establish them as well. And like I said, we're broadcast seeding, so trying to get those established after you perform your fall tillage, get your raised beds up, but then have some rainfall to incorporate them and establish them are, are basically what determines your fall stand and your success.
0: Fast forward to spring. Now we could talk about termination and weed suppression and all those things, but fast forward to spring, let's talk about planting corn into these cover crops that you have established the previous fall.
2: Termination timing, you know, you're part of this study, I guess, as a as a committee member, and uh, we've talked had long conversations about you know the need to address that and our growers typically you know they're well aware of the importance of burn down timing in the spring as it relates to corn planting so that's one of our primary treatments in one of the studies is looking at termination timing relative to these cover crops obviously you don't want to terminate them the cover crops a lot of their benefit from a soil health standpoint is from their forage growth during the springtime so we want to encourage some growth But at some point, we think that terminating them prior to planting will minimize the challenges associated with both the planting and the establishment of that corn crop, since it's so sensitive to, um, you know, a lot of factors going on there that can retard its development or, or mechanically limit your planting success. We're actually starting... Our termination timing up to six weeks prior to planting and then we're planting in green cover crops as well to see what challenges or benefits that we may see from the far range of those two ends of the spectrum.
0: This was the first year of your project and naturally don't have yield yet because we're only in June but what what are you seeing so far?
2: We're seeing big results or Big advantage, big changes, I guess, in corn growth from the later termination timings. Where we plant it into corn green, our corn growth is retarded, particularly where we have straight cereal rye. The cereal species is providing more biomass, more shading of the soil, and, and this gets the whole dynamics of what is causing the corn to be stunted during the springtime. A lot of folks concentrate on the nitrogen component, but in weed knew that going into this so we applied nitrogen so that these challenging treatments wouldn't would have the best opportunity to be successful and uh, we're still seeing some significant stunning of the crops where they're terminated the cover crops are terminated relatively late relative to corn planting so we think a lot of that that challenge is resulting from the light dynamics basically. You're shading the soil providing a lot more biomass there that's intercepting and reflecting more light so the soils are staying cooler and remember temperatures are the number one factor that is impacting and regulating corn growth particularly during the seedling stages. It's the number one factor regulating corn growth during the entire season that's why we use the growing degree days concept but it really comes into play during those challenging planting time periods where we have cool conditions during March and April and this year was cooler than normal so i think the cool temperatures the wetter soils just the pure shading of light that was taken away from the opportunity of those seedlings to basically do their thing we we saw significant differences i guess when those plants in those heavy residue plots came up where they, they couldn't get the light like the, other, like the other plots could. So they were little spindly plants that were a lot more elongated than normal trying to find that light. And that was, that was definitely a limitation in that system.
0: Tom, I had an opportunity earlier in the week, I had obligation in well So Eric took me out and showed me these plots. And so it was really interesting. And so I know like a thimble full of soil fertility and I'm somewhere well south of that on corn physiology. And that's why I call Eric all the time this time of year. But it was interesting. It looked a lot like the stuff that we've done over the years with terminating ryegrass. And you know, the numbers that I've spit out over the years is you want that ryegrass dead three to four weeks before you plant corn. Not treated, you want it dead and which is a big ask a lot of times depending on our when we can get in and start planting corn you know this year when we had corn going in the first of march in some place or the first week of march you back the clock up and you know you get into some pretty gnarly weather a lot of times in january but the just the dramatic difference in the corn growth and development uh, and again don't know the yield yet but just watching it seeing it grow in the even the four weeks versus the two weeks versus the zero week termination you know prior to planting in eric's plots it just really hit home to me that what we did in ryegrass and you know we were just basically killing ryegrass and then planting corn into it and took some heights and took some yields so we weren't doing any kind of developmental stuff but it really looked the same but we know there's a lelopathy with ryegrass so we know as the ryegrass residue breaks down it's exuding some some type of chemical that retards growth of neighboring plants particularly grass crops that stuff is difficult to talk about and near impossible to really research so we just kind of set that you know on the side burner acknowledges it's there but not really do anything with it but I've always talked about the competition for light for space and and those types of things. And and I really see Eric's stuff validating a lot of things that we did with ryegrass.
1: Well, and you could have some very similar things going on then with the cereal rye because you're talking about something that has a fibrous root system, so planting into that if it's still alive or you didn't kill it within that particular window where you're adding competition, but you may also have additional allelopathy there. So I think the listeners, and this being such a hot topic, There's not been a tremendous amount of research in the southern United States to address most of those particular topics. And then you add in an additional layer when you talk about the direction that most farming systems and practices are moving at this point. Now most things are based on speed and precision. How is that cover crop system going to influence speed and precision planning when you're talking about corn. And I see a grin on Eric's face. It's
2: certainly going to be a, a challenge, and I haven't even mentioned, I guess, you know, the, the data that we've collected regarding plant populations and the effects on stand. We're also got that data, and obviously anywhere where we had higher levels of biomass, which was our later termination treatments, or we can talk about the other study where we use strip tillage, I guess, to alleviate that cover crop in the row those treatments all enhanced your stand success. You know, obviously we, we expect to have 95 to 100% stand success with corn, and uh, when we're adding these cover crops to the system, it's very common in most research as well as ours where we had the most up-to-date modifications to our planter done to successfully be able to plant into that mess, you might call it. Um, we're still losing... 10, 20% stand in some of those treatments. So we've got that all documented and obviously going to be comparing those results at the end of the year and, and obviously collecting yield results too. But we're, we're trying to concentrate on what is the outcome beyond yield? What, what are the factors that are actually uh, going to be serious challenges towards the implementation of this important topic going forward?
1: Consider then economics. Because then if you're talking about losing a portion of the stand, well, that's lost dollars at the end of the year. So the economic disadvantage that's a potentiality from this type of system is something that I think will be really important to talk about.
2: And looking at, frankly, you know, a lot of the cover crop research, you know, we knew going in that it's very common to have, lower yields when you incorporate cover crops, particularly in the corn systems, which are so sensitive to to stand issues and, and other complications because they're the first crop planted in the spring. And with cover crops, you want to maintain them as long as possible in the spring in order to gain the advantages associated with those cover crops. So they're button heads there, basically, and what we want to try to find out is is what practices do we need to employ to to minimize that budding heads and try to maximize profitability of our of our cash crop.
0: Take a minute and contrast the species the cover crop species Eric so your corn early growth and development in a cereal rye plot versus a bursine clover plot.
2: The clover plots had much less competition you might say than the, than the straight cereal rye. We've got several different treatments. We've got a no-cover control, which I hesitate to say no cover because you know that in Mississippi production systems, we've got plenty of winter weeds out there. We, had, we didn't retard those winter weeds, so that's our, our control treatment. We've also got cereal rye by itself. We've got bursim clover by itself, and then we've got a mix of those two species. Like I said earlier, the advantage for the cereal rye or any cereal species is to provide that stability of your your raised beds and your soil over the course of our rainy season during the winter. So it's critical in that respect, but we knew that there's going to be challenges associated with that from the biomass production standpoint that, that may retard things that impact yield as well and that's where the lagoon comes into play it balances that and it provides nitrogen which helps the decay and, and other things associated with with cycling that cereal crop back into your system so it, it kind of counterbalances some of the negatives associated with the grass crop and provides really a lot of the the soil health benefits that are associated with a cover crop to your system.
0: And that was another interesting thing for me, and I suspected it, but looking at your plots of the day, again, kind of validated that in the case of the legume cover crop and the corn, you know, broadleaf and a grass crop, there was much less effect with the corn in the clover cover crop compared with when the developing corn was competing with the the grass cover crop in the case of the cereal rye.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: if I remember correctly, I think the corn in the plot that was a combination of the clover and the rye probably looked more similar to the corn in a rye only plot versus a clover only plot.
2: Yeah, and that, that's where the whole balance with the termination timing come into play. You know, looking at those plots, it was very evident of, of all our treatments in a couple different studies that termination timing was by far the most important factor that was affecting the outcome certainly the species come into play there my predecessors who i talked to regarding this whole subject matter said if they could if they could successfully grow a cover crop with just a legume species that would by far be their presence but you know that's not going to do the job as far as stabilizing that soil during the fall and the winter time so it's almost a necessity to add that cereal grain to the mix in order to accomplish that goal
1: Eric, it's clear that this type of work is really important for those of us in the university system because we do provide unbiased data to the agricultural community. Could you really speak to that effort when it comes to this particular research project?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll just reiterate that that's our utmost goal. We know it's a hot topic. Um, We know that there are some challenges when you change a crop system system dynamic we knew that that was going to be a big challenge with corn because it's the first crop that's planted in the spring it's extremely sensitive to already challenging environment we're, we're totally changing the dynamics and adding a big wild card into that situation what I can or what I want to emphasize is that this is totally unbiased no preconceived notions we're doing everything in our power to make this system work and we're going to provide information and, and develop research materials that will be hopefully very important to uh, solve this and, and provide good guidance going forward on how to successfully incorporate beneficial practice li- practices like this into our corn production systems.
1: And at this point, since it's a grad student project, you're talking about the first year, so it's pretty much just preliminary data. Yeah, absolutely. For the first season. Well, as always, we really appreciate our regular listeners. You know, Keep up the comments, keep up the The social media retweets, um, the telephone calls. If you need us from a one-on-one standpoint, we're always here. Track us down. We're usually pretty easy to to track down via cell phone. Text, direct message on Twitter. I mean, I I pretty much address those most evenings, most weekends from, from folks. So please keep that coming. We definitely appreciate having Eric in the studio with us.
0: Thanks, Eric. Thank you.